with the capital product that we've launched that's embedded in the platform, we already have all of your operating history. We already understand that your business is growing and that it's growing in a profitable way. And so we don't need to ask for those tax returns. We don't need to have all that back and forth. One day you open up our back office and you're presented with a capital offer that you can accept and be funded in the exact same day without all of that bureaucracy. And so it's taking all those steps away, automating it so that these merchants can focus on growing their business. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. Here's your host, Brian Bush. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Brian Bush. And on this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, we have two guests with us today from EPOS Now, a point-of-sale solution that puts everything small and medium merchants need in one place. My guests today are Nathan Gill, EPOS Now's Chief Product Officer, and Jacob Olins, Head of Financial Services and App Marketplace with EPOS Now. Nathan and Jacob, welcome to the show. So to dive in, Nathan, would you please give our guests or our listeners a quick overview of EPOS Now's solution and the customers you serve? Sure, absolutely. So EPOS Now is a leading global provider of point of sale software to small and medium-sized merchants. The company provides everything that a small and medium-sized merchant needs to manage and operate their business from managing their products to their customers, to their transactions, to their payments, to their marketing and loyalty, to providing reporting insights on how they can grow their business and improve the profitability. It's truly an all-in-one platform. It's really a turnkey solution. We have hospitality, retail, and service merchants, and we operate in countries across Europe, North America, and also Asia-Pac. Appreciate that. Now, I'm excited about this conversation because you both have spent time with Verifone and one of the largest payment processors and a company that has been around and processing payments long before embedded fintech was on anybody's mind. So Nathan, maybe that's the place to start. What would you say is different when it comes to payments now versus five or even 10 years ago that anyone who's working with embedded fintech today should know before they dive in? Yeah. Well, I think my experience at Verifone was actually super helpful for the role that I'm in now with EPOS Now. I think that the objective of the companies is different, but my work at EPOS Now has allowed me to get much deeper into kind of the technology and the operations of SMBs. At Verifone, if you think about it, it's a company that had tremendous scale, that had a lot of different payment assets from manufacturing payment terminals to providing payment gateways predominantly to enterprise customers. For the payment hardware side of the business, it was really kind of, in a way, a standalone payment solution, which arguably is getting more and more commoditized. On the enterprise side, it was providing scalable, secure solutions to enterprise merchants that operated across oftentimes many different countries that were omni-channel in nature, and oftentimes had a lot of legacy technology that need to integrate with. So you were kind of in a world of RFPs and longer sales cycles. In the SAB world that we're operating in now, they don't have time for any of that. They're looking for something that is truly turnkey. They're not looking to become experts at any aspect of a particular solution. They're not necessarily IT experts. They're not security experts. 
They want a trusted platform that they can use to manage all aspects of their business. And what I've found at Work at Epos now is it's really not been about, for instance, on the payment side, marketing a standalone payments. It's been about making payments work within the flow of the business. So for a restaurant that is a full service restaurant that has table service, that payment needs to be part of that table service. It needs to be part of the ordering and checkout experience. That's already part of how that restaurant works. For the retailer that may have a mobile food truck, for instance, it's part of that mobile process. That's, I think, very different than some of the work that we were doing at Verify. Yep. So what I hear you saying is when it comes to working with small and medium merchants, it's much more about thinking about their end-to-end needs. Jacob, is there anything you would add, given your experience at Verifone as well? Yeah, I think we were definitely starting to identify when we were at Verifone that more vertical and SMB-focused customers or platforms were coming into the space and really opening up opportunity with SMBs and certainly taking share of SMBs from some of the incumbents who are really like our core customers at Verifone. And I think there were sort of two big challenges that the incumbents faced when it came to SMBs. One, absolutely, as Nathan said, the solution was a payment solution. It wasn't a vertical solution. So it was just like, you know, one piece, but this SMB operator is much more interested in like having to be less technically sophisticated and getting more value from a single player. And then the other was like when it came to the financial services onboarding and KYC and those kinds of processes, the process that was built into the incumbents flow was a really clunky one that you know many SMEs just didn't even have the time for and could sort of lead an SME to say, you know what, maybe card isn't the most important thing for me to be accepting now. And what the vertical platforms like EPOS now have really been able to do is like make that starting getting up and running and be processing a payment and operating your whole business like a really, really easy thing to deliver. Okay. Well, I'm excited to dive into some of that holistic experience here in a sec. But Jacob, first, you're on the record, I think it was the Adyen report with BCG saying embedded finance should be product-led. You both wear product hats. So I assume that means, say, as opposed to a revenue leader or an engineering leader. So would you tell the audience what you mean by that statement that embedded finance should be product-led. Yeah, absolutely. What I mean by that is really embedded finance coming in, offering a vertical software solution, a business management solution like we do at EPOS now. We're communicating to that customer through the sales process and through every interaction that they have with us. We're a platform that makes it easier for you to manage your whole business. Now, finance, payment acceptance, bank accounts, getting loans, these are all things that make you operate your business more efficiently. And I think it's really the job of the product to make that tie really clear. I think when it's done like most effectively or most successfully, it almost makes the customer, you know, the SMB question like, hey, why did these services ever come from the incumbents in the first place? Like, what purpose does a bank really have offering me financial services? It fits so much better in the context of this software that I'm getting. That makes sense. Almost bury enough of the complexity that required some of the fragmented services in the past is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Tie it in to the job that they're doing. Like you're using a bank for your business so that you can store money so that a bank can provide you with a loan to make a purchase maybe of an opportunity. Maybe there's a new store that you want to invest in. Maybe there's a new critical piece of equipment. Maybe a critical piece of equipment stopped functioning on you. And so a bank is sort of this construct, this thing that as a business owner, you know, you need to work with in order to solve these business problems. But if the system that's helping you run your business every day is more aware of the challenge that you're facing and then presenting you with that solution in context, it's like you can almost get a customer to forget. And a bank is one way to solve that problem. Yeah. I think just to 
speak more specifically to the two different alternatives that a merchant has, right? In the traditional model, you decide you need some capital to grow your business. You go to a bank, you apply. You're likely going to need to provide a bunch of personal information. You're going to have to provide probably some of your tax returns for prior years. You're going to have to sign your life away. It's going to have to go before a credit committee. And then eventually, maybe you get funded or not, right? And so by that point, you spend a bunch of your time both capturing a lot of the information that the banks need back and forth and waiting for a final decision. With the capital product that we've launched that's embedded in the platform, we already have all of your operating history. We already understand that your business is growing and that it's growing in a profitable way. And so we don't need to ask for those tax returns. We don't need to have all that back and forth. One day you open up our back office and you're presented with a capital offer that you can accept and be funded in the exact same day without all of that bureaucracy. And so it's taking all those steps away, automating it so that these merchants can focus on growing their business without a lot of these more tedious legacy processes that tend to be in place with the incumbents. I appreciate that, Nathan. Now, maybe as you think about growing your business, how do you think about balancing, let's call it the core features that are core to, in this case, point of sale versus I don't want to call these add-ons necessarily, but these embedded financial services that are contextual are trying to grow additional revenue with your customers, but are not necessarily or not have not been traditionally seen as core to point of sale. Yeah. First off, the core point of sale functionality that we have is pretty vast in terms of its function and capability. It's no longer a cash register that sits there and just handles some cash transactions, right? It is truly that business in a box, managing your entire business from a single platform. And so we effectively have vertical product leads and we have functional product leads that cover all aspects of that. And we're always dialoguing with our customers, understanding what are we missing? What could we do better and improving all of the core functions of the product in a very vertical specific way. So that's you know, I would say as we kind of look at investment allocation, that's about 75% of our investment goes into core. The other 25% goes into some of these new product innovations that are expanding from what you would traditionally think of as a point of sale company providing, but arguably providing a lot more value and actually making some of the core work better, right? So for instance, when you're going to pay suppliers, if you could actually finance some of that directly through a capital product, that makes it a lot easier to pay suppliers in a timely manner. If we can then enroll your suppliers in our AP platform so that that is all automated, now you're removing a lot of the steps of paying suppliers and capturing inventory and you're making it much easier for everybody involved. So you're building a more comprehensive automated ecosystem that just makes the merchant's businesses run more smoothly. But in terms of just kind of rough investment allocation, you know, that's how we're kind of thinking about it at the moment. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's a great rule of thumb, although what I'm also hearing you say is in talking with customers, that definition of the quote core product is expanding over time. And two, I love that idea that these quote add-ons actually can make the core work better when you step back to that vision of, hey, we're trying to solve the end-to-end business problem for the customer. Yeah. You know, one thing that I will say is that some of the new innovations that we're bringing to market, the investments will continue to scale because it's not just these financial service products, it's not just a product and tech innovation, but there's this whole operational piece of it that goes along with touching people's money. And there's security, there's risk, there's fraud operations that you need to have in place so that we can protect our customers against bad things that can happen out there. 
And that's a new kind of muscle that anybody thinking about getting in and expanding their product to begin to embed financial services needs to be thinking about. It's a lot more than just the product and the tech. So let's dive a little bit deeper there. Jacob, you own not just financial services, but app marketplace and partnerships as well. So maybe to that point Nathan was just making, what makes a good embedded fintech partner in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely can be a partner that's working with you and really an expert in and helping to teach your organization and inform your organization, like what are your requirements when it comes to these operational processes, compliance, fraud, risk management that are just foreign to most SaaS companies that haven't gotten into financial services at all. I mean, I think like most of this stuff is working with a set of APIs and you're building an experience on top of APIs. So like the documentation is obviously huge. You know, the reporting, just the kind of hands-on like team that you're able to work with within an embedded partner. So connecting the dot between my responsibilities within financial services and within the broader app marketplace. In our app marketplace, it's a similar concept, right? It's we're distributing add-on services to our customers. And there's a big spectrum there. Like some of these add-on services are applications that we've developed ourselves. Some of them are like totally 100% third party. And some of them similar to the embedded finance services are like partnerships where it's a, a white label or, you know, it's us building an application on top of an API stack. And then, you know, you're working through like, well, what's the support model? Who owns what level of support? How do you handle escalations? I think having that experience makes that evolution probably a little bit easier for us, but certainly like handing a customer off to another SaaS platform is vastly, vastly different than dealing with a potential fraud issue or something that is touching that customer's money. Like so much of it for any type of partnership that you're doing is like, our incentives aligned? Is it really clear who benefits in what situation? And like, are we building a product that the partner is going to benefit when we scale? I think if you don't have those incentives aligned, then the partner is going to lose interest pretty quick. Who do you think is doing a good job, especially on the risk and fraud side of things? You know, that strikes me as the one where you just mentioned the technical team is consuming an API, they're building against the partner's API. It's not always clear where the responsibility or the line gets drawn for responsibility, especially on the frauds point. And you mentioned in particular that connects to customer support and success down the line if and when these issues come up. Is there anybody you think is doing that really well or conversely, maybe we don't want to point too many fingers here, but you know, that you found in the past doesn't do as good a job helping you as somebody consuming those APIs think about, especially the risk and fraud side of things? I think that fraud is one of those things that people don't like to talk a lot about, right? And it's one of those things where most folks start publishing what their fraud rates are, that sort of thing, right? For us, it's an ever-changing thing, right? And we're, we take fraud and the protection of our merchants very, very seriously. And it's something that everybody plays a role at BPOS now, from our support team, to our data team, to our payments team. All of us are looking to protect these merchants in every way that we can, fraud and identify bad actors. And you know, you've got bad actors from a consumer perspective, but then you've also got bad actors from a merchant perspective that are looking to take advantage of some fraudulent operations. And so we have to be aware on kind of all sides. And so we're constantly monitoring, enhancing our risk roles and our risk engine and putting in place better processes that I think protect both our merchants and the company. But it's an ever-changing thing. I'm not sure that I have an example of somebody that's 
doing it perfectly. I know every day we're learning more and trying to do more on that front. I would maybe take the question a slightly different, but like macro relevant direction. I think fraud management and the importance of it is changing a lot right now as like pressure for companies to be profitable is changing. Fraud is a cost at the end of the day. And so it impacts your profitability. And if you're just motivated to grow as fast as you can, then maybe you don't care that much about fraud. Speedboss now has been a bootstrapped company, You know, never taken outside capital, has had to run profitable since day one. And so I think very early on when we started to see what kind of fraud we were facing, it became like an absolute top priority for us, where a lot of companies with lots of venture investment who haven't had an incentive to run really profitably, I have a harder time adjusting to, you know, oh wait, how do I handle that fraud? One really good example that I read about was one neobank who was issuing cards, the major rental car agencies like Hertz basically blocked all of their cards because of a fraud that was being exploited on that specific neobanks issued cards. Those kinds of things are happening. They're out there. We just want to make sure that we're never one of the one of those companies that would be on somebody's block list, right? We're taking fraud very seriously from day one and implementing everything that we need to to make sure that we're building these financial services profitably, most importantly. And maybe a follow-up here. Do you expect embedded partners to help you think about how to sell and market these products? Sort of no. I expect, at least like from a risk perspective on financial services products, I expect really good clear guidance on like how we need to represent like financial products, who is the licensor, what can we say, what can't we say. But when it comes to like the value prop, no, I think that's 100% our job as the platform. Yeah, I agree. There are probably some platforms that depending on the usage characteristics of their users, the answer could be different, but our users log into our software every day. They're in it all day. And so the ability for us to kind of upsell and cross sell other services within the product is far and away the best activation method. And so we don't really need help with that. But I I can see others that don't have that sort of usage pattern, maybe wanting some additional help. Okay. Well, yeah, the question that I think is on everybody's mind lately has been about sequencing embedded fintech products. So for EPOS now, obviously payments, I would consider core to that traditional definition of a point of sale. You all have offered some banking features. Obviously, we talked about EPOS Capital, EPOS Now Capital, and the loan products you offer. So how do you think about sequencing your embedded fintech roadmap? How do you prioritize what should go first? Yeah. So I think, you know, the starting point for us is we know 100% of our customers need to accept payments, right? And so that was the easy one for us to prioritize and launch first. It's also the required kind of input to a lot of the other follow-on products. So it was the natural starting point. We launched that and scaled that across all of the geographies that we operate in. And so now from there, it's really a function of understanding, first of all, from our customers, how many of them are interested in some of the other financial service products? We know about 64% of them are interested in other products beyond payments, so other embedded finance type products. And so after doing a bunch of customer research, as well as understanding the market, really the order that we've gone, we launched payments, then we launched capital. We're going to be launching a banking service, which will be followed by an issuing service, which will then be followed by a much more integrated and smarter capital service. And then we've got plans for how we roll all of those out across the different markets. But really, it's just what's the share of customers that have expressed interest and what's kind of the natural progression of offering those over time. The thing that we've had to take into account is 
you know, some of the operations and technology build out associated with those and the timelines. And so that's helped to inform the product roadmap, but it's mostly been customer driven and market driven. Okay. Jacob, is there anything you would add there? I'm thinking in particular, any data points to look at and target, maybe an example. We've heard other folks, you know, some vertical SaaS platforms who they say once they're in the flow of funds and they feel like they have a broader picture of their customer's cash flow statement, then they can begin to prioritize additional fintech products more precisely. Is there anything like that that you find really helpful? We're definitely looking at our total sales or gross sales across all of our different countries and across all of our different customer verticals and sub-verticals. You know, one of the other things, and this ties to the question you asked earlier, just on how do you prioritize a roadmap beyond just the fintech roadmap? Well, a platform like ours, when we we target so many different customer verticals, the common thread of problems sort of always comes back to financial services. And if you were hyper-focused on, I don't know, a, a contractor as a type of SMB, maybe their common thread of problems is a little bit different and maybe less like financial services focused. But that's sort of what drives us towards, hey, when we're rolling out these new financial services, we've got to make sure that we're rolling out uh, bank account service and an issuing service that supports a retailer as well as it supports a hospitality customer as well as it supports a, a service customer. That's actually an interesting point. If you think about mainly in the restaurant space, you know, I know Toast is is one vendor who, at least lately, is similarly offering what looks like an end-to-end solution, gaining a lot of attention from folks. How would you compare? Do you feel like your approach is similar, different to something like what Toast is trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I think Toast is a really good company. Obviously, has gone really deeply into that hospitality verticals, predominantly in the U.S., although you know, they're beginning to to think about other markets. Our business is not quite that simple. Sometimes I wish it were, right? But we support a lot more verticals than just hospitality. And we're in a lot more, you know, we've got nearly 60,000 locations across 70 different countries, right? So we're more diverse in terms of our customer base as well as geographically. So we've got a lot more kind of localization requirements and that sort of thing, but it also gives us quite a bit of scale for these financial service products which we think is super helpful in, in the market. But definitely in the US and the hospitality space, we do run into toast. Last question before we wrap up this episode. A bit more broadly, if you look back over the past couple of years, there's been a tremendous amount of change with the pandemic, different updates or, or changes, constraints imposed on particularly restaurants, all things, retail. If you look back over the last two years, would you do anything differently or? What would you say is a key lesson learned as you think about going forward over the next couple of years? I probably would have rebalanced my investment portfolio sooner. <laughs> and I think Jacob can say the same because we share stock tips time to time. And so far, I'm not taking any more stock tips from Jacob. But the good news is because we have operated EPOS now as a profitable company through all this, we were pretty practical about the areas that we were going to invest in. And there was like a lot of buzzy type stuff that was going on, right? Like we could have spent time figuring out how we accept crypto. We could have followed some moonshots that were not the most practical path. And I think we would have had some regrets had we done that. Because in a way, we have finite resources and we need to continue to be profitable. We've really focused those. And I have to say that coming out of it, there are not too many things that we would do differently. I think the big innovation that we launched with payments, I'm not sure that we could have been any more successful than we have been with payments. And I think our customers would say the same. 
So I think we're on a really nice glide path. And if we can continue that this year and beyond, you know, I think we'll be feeling really good about our progress. And, you know, I'll speak just to the challenges that we face and the, some of the hardest stuff about doing embedded finance. You know, everything that we've been talking about in this conversation, it's like building that financial services operational organization. I think that's the hardest part. If we could have done anything better, it just would have been like put more formality around that part earlier. We've been learning that actively. I think are implementing all of the right processes, procedures, teams, et cetera. But it's just as far as like guidance to others thinking about the space or investing in the space, like that's just a key and really easy to overlook part of the equation. I appreciate that. Well, I feel like if I'm taking away three key things from this chat today, it's one, it all starts with what the customer needs. Two, these embedded fintech products can, when done well, enhance the core offering or really complement it well. And three, exactly as you were talking about, Jacob, it's a very cross-functional endeavor. You're not just building a piece of technology. You need to think about the risk and fraud side. You need to think about how you support these customers. Is there anything you would change or anything you would add to that list? It's a big opportunity. There's a lot of money in it. Financial services is the most profitable industry in the world. And it is vastly made up of incumbents. I just think there's a huge opportunity in doing this, both on the business side, building great companies that sort of focus on that, but also on the customer side, just like offering better customer experiences and financial services that I think promotes financial inclusion and distribution of financial services to a lot of customers who don't have access today or have less access than they should. Yeah. I think also just the one thing I would add is with these new products, if you get this right, the stickiness of your solution means you effectively have a customer forever. And you know, I think that we've seen some businesses in the market that really, in a way, almost take advantage of that through, you know, arguably like usurous rates. And they can do that because they know their solution is so sticky. We've taken a much more moderated approach to that. We want to be really fair and equitable with our merchants. We want to provide them great solutions at a really fair price so that they feel that they've got a really good solution and they've got good value. And we'll continue to do that. We could generate more profit if we wanted to, but it's not the right thing for our customers. It's not the right thing for our brand. And so we're going to stay true to our brand and our customer base as we go down this path. That seems like a fantastic place to end that. Nathan, thank you. Jacob, thank you so much. If listeners would like to follow up with you both with any questions, is there anywhere they can find you online or connect with follow-up questions? LinkedIn, whatever you're preparing, happy to share email addresses. Yeah. LinkedIn would be, would be best for me as well. Just forward slash Jacob Owens. Okay. Well, Nathan, Jacob, thank you so much for your time today. And for our listeners out there, please take the time to rate and leave any comments on how we can make the show better. Thank you for listening to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.